and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Trust it's been a blessing to you. Mm-hmm. It's yes. been a blessing to me. <laughs> and uh, I've been threatening for the last couple of weeks to get into talking about um, praying in the Spirit and things like that. And so now we are. Uh, but the more I've been studying it out, the more I realized like um, most people's temptation with this is to do to jump straight in and um, start talking about it and um, giving you the the highlights maybe, and that's it. And uh, I went through my, my, my preparation a couple times uh, uh, just because I realized like there's a depth to it that we need to kind of make sure we understand. Not just for our benefit, although it would benefit for uh, us, but also to be able to share with other people. Okay, So it's important because we all do this, but we all come to the, the Word with um, uh, our, our baggage our background, our culture, our context, our, what glasses are you reading the word with, you know? Um, and a lot of it could be just religious tradition, and we wouldn't call it religious tradition, we'd call it experience, and, um, and it kind of dress it up to say, but this is what I've always believed, this is what I've always seen, and sometimes we're wrong, sometimes, not always, sometimes we're wrong in what we believe, and then if we hear something contrary, it's kind of like, hold the phone, you know, this is... This is it wrong, and it might not be wrong, because it's just something different. So as I've been kind of get working through this, I realized, you know, because understanding is the key to fruitfulness, we need to dig deep. So we'll dig deep. So it'll take a couple of weeks. And um, we uh, 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 need to start off by saying we learn by the Word, not by experiences. The Holy Spirit, there's definitely an experience to be had. But we learn still by the Word, not by experiences. A lot of people have supernatural experiences and they are demonic. <laughs> They're wrong. You know, um, I, I, my favorite example I always use is a guy called Joseph Smith who had a, an angelic visitation and he started a cult. And so, you know, just because an angel comes to you and says, hey, I, I'm telling you, you need to write down a new Bible. That's what pretty much he said to Joseph. And Joseph writes the Book of Mormon and starts the cult. So we, we, we need to make sure that we're basing our, we're interpreting our experiences on the Word and not interpreting the Word by our experiences. Okay, it's really, really key. So, you know, our, <clears throat> I was thinking about prayer in terms of Holy Spirit and I realized, you know, up until now we've built a strong foundation of what is prayer. Prayer is relationship with God. Prayer is asking, it's petition. Prayer is um, uh, receiving from God. Prayer is fellowship with God. But, you know, we've got authority to be able to pray and see results. Okay? There's many things we've learned. That's possibly just the highlights package. Okay? But here's the thing. Up until now, you can still take what we've, what we've gone through and um, get results. But it's mostly just nat- in the natural. Because the supernatural element of the Holy Spirit needs to, needs to be there and we haven't touched that yet. And so this second part is like the second wing of a bird. Up until now you've got one wing, 
Nobody can fly with one wing. You need two wings, okay? So the other wing, you could say, is just the Holy Spirit. And Because you're never going to have more than natural results if you just pray natural. You're never going to have more than just natural results if you're praying according to the natural. You're the Holy Spirit is the key to the supernatural. Holy Spirit is, is the doorway, you could say, to the, the supernatural. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into this. Uh, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but Jude 20. It says, But ye, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, or praying in the Holy Spirit. Again, what he's saying here is that praying in the Holy Ghost or Spirit builds the believer up on his most holy faith. When he says that, he's talking about tongues. And we'll talk about that more another time. But uh, we're going to dig into this just a little bit in Judea firstly, because we need to see what does he mean here. So let's look at the context. We've seen this, uh, I believe, uh, we've looked at many different passages and seen how it's essential we look at the context. Okay, We look at the, where is this verse in the bigger picture. We can't just look at one verse. Um, lots of people love to run, we'll look at it later, but love to run to Ephesians chapter 6, forgetting about Ephesians chapter 1, for example. So, you know, uh, it's essential we look at the first uh, couple of verses of Jude as well. Jude chapter 1, uh, Jude verse 1. <laughs> Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. <coughs> Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of common salvation. Okay? Common salvation. We're going to talk about that. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So in verse 3, here he mentions common salvation. Okay? Now both the writer and the audience of this letter, he's saying, have the same salvation. That's big. So the person who's writing the letter is... Apostle Paul, the person he's writing to, has exactly the same salvation as the writer. That's what he's, he's meaning by common salvation. Okay, so every epistle was really written as a follow-up to what had been taught by the apostles. Okay, this, this epistle, this letter is no different. So the focus and the audience of the letter, it, 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 it's... it's it's for people of faith. So the word common is translated from a word here that um, speaks of something that is available to everyone without exception, without qualification, without extra qualification. So think of something that is available to everything, to everybody. That's what it's talking about when it talks about common salvation. It's not exclusive and it's not special. What I'm trying to show you is that your salvation and my salvation is not different. Your salvation, and think of your favorite uh, minister, apart from me, there's no difference between, the two, between you and them. Okay? The salvation is exactly the same. So he calls it faith and uh, makes a call for its defense. He's defending the fact that we have a common salvation. Okay? So... It's implied what is general, not what is special. So common refers to general, not special. Okay? In Jude 3, 
he's, he's, he's teaching that no one differs, no believer differs in what they have. We all have the same uh, salvation, common salvation. Okay, Titus verse 4 says, To Titus, mine, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. <coughs> so Paul is calling it common faith. And he uses faith here to describe salvation. Okay? So from that, what we looked at last week, it means that we have the same kind of faith. Which means that when we pray, we can all have the same kind of results. Okay, Romans chapter 1 verse 2. That is, by, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of both you and me. So now mutual is describing faith here. Mutual. It's speaking of salvation. Okay? Peter talks about this and says, like precious faith. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Like precious faith is talking about salvation. Okay? Salvation is common to all. Meaning, those who are saved have the same kind of salvation. Those who are saved have the same kind of faith. It's not a little bit of faith, a little bit more, a little bit more. No faith. You know, it, we all have the same kind of faith. We all have the same kind of salvation. Which means we can all have the same kind of results. Verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now the word contend here, we're going a bit deep now. Okay, the word contend here means to struggle. To struggle. Okay, it's important to see that the word delivered here means to pledge or commit for safekeeping. So the faith... If we look at the word, the, or the phrase, the faith, wherever that is, contend for the faith, okay? Safeguard the faith. What is the faith? Think about it. Don't answer. Okay, think about it. We're told to safeguard, contend, struggle, to protect, to safeguard the faith. Now, if we all have the same kind of faith, how do you safeguard that faith? Because that faith doesn't fluctuate in you. That faith is constant in you. That faith doesn't increase. You can use it more. Yes. You can use it less. Yes. But you have the same faith that Jesus had. So what is the faith that you have to contend to protect and to safeguard? Think about that for a second. There's your second. It refers to teaching. Okay. So in this text, it's referring to specific teaching. One that is commonly believed. So it's a, a common, it's a, the faith is talking about something that we believe together. Okay? It's not speaking of your life of faith as an individual believer. It's talking about the faith, a specific teaching or doctrine. And this is where I was struggling in my preparation because so often we don't want to in church maybe dig too deep into and call it doctrine because for a lot of people, Christians, they think that's boring. But doctrine is life and death. What we believe is life and death. It's fruitfulness or no fruitfulness. It's error or it's truth. So it's essential that we dig into it. Okay? And in 1 Timothy, we see Paul instructing 
uh, Timothy, who's a, a pastor, to make sure that nobody's teaching anything else. Because it's the pastor's job to serve the people by safeguarding the faith together. Now you do it as well, but this, the pastor needs to make sure that we're shepherding in good doctrine. So let's look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1 to 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mayest, uh, mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. <clears throat> so he simply said there was just one doctrine to be taught. Don't teach anything else. Do you know that in Christianity there's one doctrine? It's the doctrine of Christ. Everything that we believe fits into that. And if it doesn't fit into that, it's error. So, you know, the, the, the doctrine, doctrine, if you look at this verse, is never, a, a, even at the whole Bible, is never a, an issue of feeling. It's never an issue of, of, of how do I feel. It's always a function of what is in the Word. Okay? So, when he speaks of doctrine... He's referring to the things that he taught Timothy. Paul taught Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, What you've heard from me, give to other, other men, faithful men. So he's saying, What you've heard me teach, that's what you teach. That's the doctrine. The doctrine which you've gotten from me, give to other people. Okay? He's, he's instructing Timothy to pass on what he's received. He, he's not, Timothy was never given any wiggle room. To, to teach what an angel had said to him. Or to teach what his own opinion concerning the scriptures. His mandate it was, what you've heard Paul teach, teach. And that's the same thing we really have. Is what we, what we study, what Paul teaches, that's what we need to teach. In context of the whole Bible. 2 Timothy 3 verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So, he's saying, hey, the things which I've taught you, that's what you continue in. And in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, he says this, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life whereunto you are also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. So now, think about it. What is fight the good fight of faith? It's talking about doctrine. It's talking about what we believe. Okay? That's the good fight. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The good fight is in terms of the faith. It's in reference to the faith. Which is doctrine. Teaching. That's what he's got to hold to. That's what we've got to contend for. That's what we've got to stay strong in. 1 Timothy 6.3 <clears throat> If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ... And to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So Paul's directing his words in this passage in the whole book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. It's written to pastors. Okay? And his words are, 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 are cautioning the minister to make sure that we are safeguarding doctrine. Because what we teach is important. And you go online and you listen to whatever you want and there's a lot of junk out there. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff out there which is based on a dream and a vision and an experience, but not on the Word. 
And then sometimes it's not even rightly dividing the word. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, it's, it takes a lot of effort and time to make sure you... I mean, going to Bible college and graduating isn't enough. You've got to continually dig in and then make sure, you, 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 before you teach something, that it's in line with the doctrine of Christ and that it all fits in. Well, 1 Timothy 6.9 But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So this is a nice teaching <laughs> for another day. But here, he's warning ministers who desire to be rich through ministry. Here, he's warning ministers who desire to be rich through the, through the ministry. And look what he says. He says, they've erred from the faith. They've erred from the faith. That doesn't mean they've lost their salvation. If a minister gets into uh, uh, trying to become rich through ministry... They haven't lost their salvation, but they've heard from the doctrine, the faith, the message, the teaching, the explanation of Jesus. 1 Timothy 6.11, the next verse there, it says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, and lay hold of eternal life. And it goes on. So we see, therefore, that a minister of the gospel needs to struggle or contend to maintain good doctrine, which means there's continual study. For the person who stands at the pulpit, it can't just be a once-off, I went to Bible college and I got a certificate. It needs to be a, I'm continually studying the Word and digging in so that I can make sure what I'm presenting is accurate and good and wholesome. And it isn't straying from the doctrine. So, you know, Paul goes on in his second letter, and he has strong warnings for Timothy, because he's his, you could say, spiritual father. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word and be instant in season, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away from the, from the truth and shall turn to, unto fables. If you've been anywhere, like, if you've been around, then you've seen this. <laughs> uh, 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 it's amazing. How, how much, I many fairy tales are, are out there in church. But the preacher of the gospel needs to contend for the truth that's been commonly believed so that we continue to present it so that that's why it's not bad. It's actually a good thing to hear the same thing again and again. A lot of people get bored with, with their teaching because they haven't allowed it to impact them, number one. Or, number two, they're not doing anything with it. <clears throat> They're not sharing it with anyone, so they need something more exciting. And so then along comes prophet so-and-so or, 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 or pastor so-and-so, and they uh, have a, a vision and a dream, 
and uh, you know, they can do this and do that. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is exciting. Meanwhile, you know, back in the kingdom, that's error. Because they weren't excited about it because they weren't uh, sticking to what they were called to. Jude chapter 3, or verse 3. Beloved, when I gave uh, all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The faith is not determined by us. The faith is talking about something that is not, it's unmistakable. The faith is something that can be seen. Okay? It's delivered unto, which means it was given to, and because, and since it's been given to, it's reliable, it's re uh, regular, it's consistent, and you can define it. So I'm saying all of this to say that basically what Paul was telling Timothy was don't allow anyone to teach anything else. So there shouldn't be too much variety from the pulpit in terms of worldwide. Uh, you know, some people excuse it by saying that's their flavor, that's their focus. There's one message. Yes, and that one message comes out strongly, whether you're talking on prayer, finances, healing, whatever. There's one message. Okay? So this shows us that there's also a definiteness and a specificness with regards to the message of praying in the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues. Okay? And uh, it's part of our common faith, our common salvation, the thing that we all have. And that's what we need to contend for. That's what we're going to be digging into. Okay? So now, we need to, before we talk about um, praying in the Spirit, we need to talk about Holy Spirit. Okay? And so we're going to talk about Holy Spirit in terms of salvation firstly. Because I've realized in the last maybe two or three years, as I've studied this out, I realized that I was a little bit confused about this. Even though I had been you know, ministering about the Holy Spirit since 2010, and even though I'd been to ministry school or Bible school and all of these type of things, I realized that there were certain things that I would come to the Word and I would read certain things and I would be like, what does that mean? And I would ask my teacher and my teacher would tell me and I would accept that and I would teach that. But now as I've studied, I realize like some of the things don't make sense if I think about them. I just accepted them because I trusted people who were teaching me. And so it's important that we think when we study the Word or hear messages. Okay? And we need to dig deep. So now, uh, uh, Ezekiel 36, 26. We're looking at the, the promise of the Spirit. We're looking at the reality of the indwelling Spirit. This is a prophecy of salvation. And we focused on it a lot here. And so, you know, maybe one day I'll wake you up in the middle of the night and say, what does Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 say? With a bucket of water. And then you go, no, and then you get done because you didn't say it quick enough. A new heart will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. What's he going to put in you? A new heart, a new spirit. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Whose spirit? God's Spirit, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Let me ask you a question. 
Does God have His Spirit with Him or not? Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> There's confusion. If a lot of people would be like, like stuck as you are on that question. God, God has His Spirit. I mean, you can't be separated from your spirit, is it? So what does that mean? It means God's in you. You don't have part of God in you, but that's, I'm jumping ahead. Ezekiel is a prophet. And he's, uh, uh, this scripture which he's uh, prophesying in is concerning the new birth or salvation. Okay, The promise of God's indwelling spirit. Now, the phrase, I will put my spirit within you, answers what a lot of Christians sing from David's uh, Psalm 51. Okay, you go read Psalm 51. Is the whole thing up there? No? Okay, he's uh, 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 um, having a pity party. And if you go on to the next part there in verse um, uh, 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Uh, cast not me not away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Some of you have probably read that and prayed that at times. And here we can see that Ezekiel is the fulfillment of what David was, was praying. So it's incorrect for a believer to pray this prayer that David prayed. It's incorrect for a believer to sing this prayer that David pre uh, wrote. And a lot of people do sing it and pray it, but they're wrong. Okay, why? Because the indwelling of the Spirit is talking about salvation. So if you're saved, if you've believed on Jesus, and you've then you've received His Spirit, now you're one with Him, He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Okay, Jesus explains salvation, John chapter 3, verse 3 to 7. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot in enter the kingdom of, of God. And then Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're going to come back to that now. Which, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. So, based on what you know about salvation and what Jesus has just said about salvation, what physical things can you do to be saved? Nada. Why? Because it says there, that which is flesh basically gives birth to flesh. So what gives birth to spirit, which is salvation? Spirit. Okay? Now if you can accept that, that'll, that'll take you places. Okay? But let's leave that for now. And look at this. Jesus says, except a man be born of water. And then we kind of get confused here because of the wording. And I'm not going to get too detailed into here. But what he's saying here is, accept a man, be born of water. And then he goes on to say what that water is. Because throughout the Old Testament, especially in Ezekiel, you can see this echoed in John chapter 7. He shows us that the water is always symbolic of Holy Spirit. So he's saying, unless a man is born of water, which is the Spirit. Okay, that's what he's explaining. That's what he's trying to show us. He's showing Nicodemus that being born again is being born of the Spirit. Okay? It's not H2O, it's Spirit that he's talking about there. Again, okay, he explains this to the disciples, John 14, verse 16. <coughs> and I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you. How long? 
He will abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees Him not, neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him, for He, d- he dwelleth with you. He's speaking to His disciples. Where does He dwell? With you. And shall be? Shall be as in the future. He will be in you. Right now He dwells in you. Why did the Spirit just dwell with them at that point? Because He was in Christ there. But they couldn't have the Spirit of God in them yet because Pentecost hadn't happened yet. Let's ask the question again. How long will He abide with you? Forever. He doesn't come and go. Okay? So the reality of Christianity is Spirit of God lives in you. Okay? Spirit, so I'm, I'm saying this so that you can see when we now start to talk about praying in the Spirit, it's easy. Because you've got the Spirit of God dwelling in you. 1 Corinthians 6 17, you're living, says, But the person who is joined unto the Lord is one Spirit with him. One Spirit means the Lord and the believer have the same Spirit. One Spirit means that God doesn't have a different Spirit than his children. Okay? Because a father cannot have different life than his children. So you have the same spirit. It's one spirit with God. John 14 verse 16. And I'll pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you sometimes. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye shall know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I said that wrong on purpose. He will be with you forever. I was wanting to see how aggressive you are about the word. But we've got some work to do. Jesus uses the word give. Okay? To imply it's not a request. For the indwelling spirit. Okay? He says he will dwell with you and would abide with you always, forever. Eternity is what he's implying. The spirit is with you When you say yes to Jesus, you become one with Him. Not just for this life, but for eternity. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Sealed gives the impression of permanence. This is forever. This is settled. This is established. Ephesians 1.13, New Living says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, referring to when you believed the message of Christ, the gospel, he identified you as his own, giving you what? The Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So when the gospel is preached, this is what it's saying, and when you believe the gospel, the moment, the, the moment you believe the preaching of the gospel, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise forever. The Holy Spirit is referred is God's spirit and now you're sealed it's permanence you become one with him forever so what I'm trying to say is you don't pray for Holy Spirit okay God gives the spirit when you believe the message it's a result of you you believe the message and you're sealed with the spirit okay Galatians 3.13. You won't understand what I'm saying unless you did some of the things you believe. Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the promise of the Spirit through faith, the blessing of Abraham. Money! It doesn't say money, it's not money. The promise of Abraham may come on us, which is the promise of the Spirit, which is the Spirit of His Son, which is the Spirit of adoption, which is salvation. God's Spirit coming to dwell in you. Now, you as a believer don't have two spirits. You as a believer don't have two spirits. You receive the adoption, or the spirit of adoption and salvation, and now you've got one spirit, and it's His Spirit. In other words, it's God in you forever. So after the new birth, you receive this one spirit, and that's it. If, you, if, if I give you something, you've got it, okay? Can I, can, if I give Jamie her pen, can she ask for her pen? It's not a trick question. No. Okay? If I give you something, <laughs> if you receive it properly, <laughs> I've given Anna a, 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 a hall's lozenger now. Okay? Can she ask me for it? No, because she's got it. Okay? What I'm trying to show you <clears throat> is that once you've got the Spirit, you've got the Spirit. Now, what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's where we're going. But I want you to see and understand, firstly, that you've got the Spirit. But a lot of people, charismatics, go around with regards to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as if they don't have a Holy Spirit. And Christians don't have the Holy Spirit and they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Even if they have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then they're still praying and singing for the Holy Spirit to come. It's error. Because we, we, if you look at the Word and you look at the different verses we've looked up until now, salvation brings the seal of the Spirit. Now you've got the Spirit of God dwelling in you for eternity. Amen. Okay? So, but let's look at the empowering of the Spirit. Because especially the book of Acts gives us this idea. So we need, to, we need to answer it. We need to understand it. We will never finish it tonight. Okay? I'm just warning you. May you have sleepless nights wondering. <laughs> I'm joking. So the empowering of the Holy Spirit or the so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit, all these kind of terms, what, what is it talking about? John chapter 14 verse 16. And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Okay, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with you, how long does He dwell with you? Forever. Forever. Okay. You will never need another Spirit to come to you. Because God has one spirit. How many spirits does God have? One spirit. He can't give you another spirit. Okay? Ditch the book that says seven spirits of God or whatever it says. So let's look at the two prophecies of the spirit. There's more, but let's look at two of the prophecies of, of the Holy Spirit in the scripture. Ezekiel 36, which we've looked at. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll take out your stony heart, give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments and do them. So by prophecy, Ezekiel is talking about new birth. Okay? He's not talking about manifestations of the Spirit. Because 
everything he's talking about is inside, right? You can't see that. I had someone send me a question this week. How can I know if someone's truly saved? I said, you can't. <laughs> I was like, manifestations of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, is an indication that someone is definitely saved. But just because someone doesn't have the gifts of the Spirit, doesn't mean they're not saved. Because maybe they're just sitting on their blessed assurance. And that's it. Okay? So, if we look at this verse, Ezekiel, the action of this, of the Spirit here, is on God because it's new birth and you can't do anything except believe to be born again. Okay, then there's another passage talking about the Spirit. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass. Let me just pause there and say this. Anybody teaching anything, whether it's prayer, Holy Spirit, salvation especially, not using scriptures from Genesis to Malachi to bring it all together hasn't really done a deep study. Because the whole Bible needs to be read together. We don't ditch the, the Genesis to Malachi just because we've, we, we've got Jesus. Genesis to Malachi shows us Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Genesis to Malachi. Okay, and it came to pass, and it shall come to pass, for afterward, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Somebody said prophesy. Sorry. <laughs> There's somebody who does that, the preacher. Anyway. Oh, goodness. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Now, some of you are wondering if you're old or young. Forget about that. We can talk about that when we get to gifts of the Spirit, because we'll get there. Okay? And also upon your servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. What does he say? Upon. Upon. Okay? This is talking about a manifestation of gifts. So now Ezekiel is talking about within. Joel is talking about upon. Okay? He's talking about manifestation of ability of Christ through us upon all flesh, which means all believers. In context, it's not talking about the unbeliever. So I, I have to say that because I know some people who teach it's upon everybody. It's not. The action is on the believer. And if you look at this, this passage here, what I like, who is speaking? Who's prophesying? Who's prophesying? People, believers, not God. So who's doing the talking? Us, by the Spirit. That's really important. We do the talking because we've got the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't do the talking. We do. Okay? Joel is dealing with ministry. Ezekiel is dealing with new birth. Joel is speaking about ministry. The gifts of the Spirit are for ministry. They're not for new birth. New birth is what enables ministry. Okay? One depends on the other. The pouring out, the pouring out, which is overflow, which is ministry, the pouring out, which is talking about here in Joel, depends on the new birth. 
They cannot be a pouring out without the pouring in. And the pouring in is salvation. So the Holy Spirit comes in and then the, the ministry is the Holy Spirit wanting to come out. Now you've got to remember that picture when we get to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Because that's how I'm going to explain that to you. Okay? The most outstanding differences between Ezekiel and Joel are really in the two words, in and upon. In and upon. What God does in and then what we see upon the believer. What God does in a believer, which is His Spirit coming to live in, a new heart. And then what happens or what is seen upon. We cannot see in a believer. But we can see upon a believer. You know why I'm saying that? Because the book of Acts is an eyewitness historical account. So Luke is writing what he saw. He's not writing what he saw in someone who got saved. He's writing what he saw on the outside of someone when they got saved. And you have to read with that understanding to be able to understand what's going on. We don't, we don't base our doctrine, what we believe, on what we see. It's not eyewitness account that gives us doctrine. It's the explanations of the eyewitness account in the letters. So we have to go to Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, all of these books, letters, to understand what's taking place in Acts. I'll get there. I'm running ahead. So, pouring upon or pouring out is dealing with ministry. Okay? And you can never have a ministry without salvation. So, Joel says, they shall prophesy, which is ministry. Because prophecy is blessing other people. You know, within is talking about new nature. Upon is talking about your ability. So in reality, the spirit within is the spirit upon. The spirit within is manifesting on the outside, and so you start to see this. Yeah, we, we, we usually use the word manifest when it comes to the demonic. And yet the Bible uses the word manifest for Holy Spirit. So Ezekiel's prophecy in the, in the New Testament is the New Testament. Okay, Ezekiel's prophecy is talking about salvation. Joel's prophecy is talking about ministry. Okay, Ezekiel's talking about salvation. Joel's talking about ministry. Okay, I'm trying to make sure that you're following me here. Ezekiel, I will put a new spirit within you. What's that talking about? Salvation. Joel, I will pour out my spirit upon ministry. Thank you. So, spirit within cannot be seen. But spirit upon has got to be seen. Okay? Let me just say this. God doesn't ever send His Spirit to dwell in you. Do you know that? <laughs> he doesn't send His Spirit to dwell in you. He comes to dwell in you. We've got to stop seeing it like we've got a little piece of Jesus. So let's look at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, 
You need to see spirit upon and spirit in when you read the book of Acts. We see indwelling and we see overflow. Okay? We think of specific words according to our context and understanding. Okay? Pour upon should really be something that's coming from the outside in and the inside out. But we have this impression of the Spirit falling from somewhere. Even today, like the Spirit fell upon them. It's what Luke saw. It looked like the Spirit falling upon. But the Spirit can't fall upon you if you're a Christian. Why? Because He's inside of you. So when you start to experience the Spirit of God, it looks like, wow, the Spirit has fallen upon this room. But what happened was, we started to tap into what was inside of us, or what is inside of us, and the Spirit started to overflow. How do we know when the Spirit's overflowing? When there's ministry, when there's utterance, when there's talking, when there's prophecy, when there's ministry. Okay? Now, who acted? Acts chapter 2 verse 6. Who spoke? Act 2 verse five, uh, 4 there. Who spoke? Believers. By what ability? By the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now let's look at the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts implies spirit within. This is really important. This is really, really important. The book of Acts implies spirit within, which is new birth. But it never teaches new birth. The book of Acts doesn't teach spirit within. How do we know about spirit within? One of the verses is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, which says that when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when, when we're reading the book of Acts, we can't get a comprehensive understanding of salvation. Okay? And I know lots of people who don't like me saying that. They don't agree with me. But that's, that's what I see. I can't see anything else there. Okay, the book of Acts shows us the working of the Spirit within by the believer who had the Spirit upon. So the book of Acts shows us the working of the Spirit within by the believer who has the Spirit upon, coming out of them. Spirit upon is the demonstration of the Spirit through the believer. Okay, the Spirit within happens when you believe. The Spirit upon happens whenever you want it to happen. The Spirit within happens the moment that you believe. God's Spirit comes to dwell in you. God, the Spirit, comes to dwell in you. But now, Spirit upon, ministry, service, what we see, happens when you want it to happen. Not when God wants it to happen. Okay? So the book of Acts cannot adequately teach you New birth that cannot adequately teach you indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You'll never see new birth or indwelling mentioned or referred to ever. It's implied. Okay? You will not see the word son in the book of Acts. And a lot of people are into sonship. They love the teachings of sonship. And I agree. Sonship is important. But it's not taught in Acts. So if it's not taught in Acts, maybe we should realize what the book of Acts is for. It's not to teach us everything about salvation. It's to show us what happened in the early church. Okay? Where do we learn about sonship? Romans chapter 8 is one of the verses. 
So we learn it from the epistles, from the letters. You will not see the name Father used for God in the book of Acts in relation to the believer. But it's a salvation truth, right? God is our Father. So Acts is a primarily an historical eyewitness account and we don't get doctrine primarily from it, we get doctrine from the letters. In studying your Bible and reading your Bible, that's important. Okay? They do tell us, the book of Acts tells us, does it tell us about the gifts of the Spirit? Does the book of Acts tell us about the gifts of the Spirit? No. We see the gifts of the Spirit, but it doesn't teach the gifts of the Spirit. Romans chapter, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is one of the passages that teach us about the gifts of the Spirit. So we can't go to Acts and teach gifts of the Spirit. We can't go to Acts and teach Holy Spirit. We can go to Acts to learn what happened, but we have to put it together with other passages. Okay? Wonderful. Matthew chapter 28, verse 17 to 20. Now that I've labored that point. <laughs> And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So even if people see Jesus, sometimes they doubt. <laughs> and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Did they go and preach as soon as they received this message, this, this instruction? Did they preach the next day? Did they go into all the world the next day? They did not. There's no evidence that they did anything as soon as they received this commandment from Jesus. Why? Because we can't just take this passage and build a doctrine out of it. We have to put it together with the other accounts of this. And one of the accounts is Luke chapter 24. 47 to 52. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send you the promise, or send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. And He led them out as far as to Bethany, and He lifted up His hands and blessed them, and it came to pass while He blessed them that He was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So did they go and preach on this day? When they received this message from Jesus, this instruction, did they go and preach? No. What did they do? They went and they waited. Okay? Why? Why did they have to go and wait in Jerusalem? Because they needed an empowering. What was that empowering? They needed the Spirit to come. To, they needed to be one with Holy Spirit. They weren't one yet with Him. Because Jesus hadn't yet ascended. Okay? Now, let's look at it. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Okay, so here, Jesus is saying, John's baptism is? Water. Jesus' baptism is? Holy Spirit. Okay, 
Jesus' baptism is Holy Spirit, not water. Jesus' baptism is Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism is Holy Spirit. The baptism of the believer is Holy Ghost. We have a, a spiritual reality, not a carnal reality, which was John's baptism. Okay? Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. This is the fulfillment of Jesus' instruction in Luke 24, 49 to wait. So he says, wait, and then they go, and then he sends. He said, I will send. I send the promise. Okay? This implies that he had done or was doing something. He did not say, I will, as in futuristic. He said, when you gather, I will send. Okay? The word endued there. Luke uh, 24, 49. Until you be endued with power from on high. Endued is like to put on. Endued is like to put on. What does that mean? I've put on this jacket. Can you see my jacket? Ah, oh, if you're listening, you can't. I Meaning if you're listening to the recording, you can't see my jacket. But I've got a jacket. So if I put something on, it means you can see it. If I put on an accent, which I'm not going to do now because we'll go downhill. <laughs> Then what is it? You can hear. You can, there's something visible. If you put on a hat, we can see the hat. Okay? So putting on the Spirit means we can see something. So if you've, if you've got put on the Spirit, if you've got the Spirit upon, meaning the Spirit within is now overflowing from within you, we can see something. We can hear something. We can experience something. Okay? And remember, we're talking about this in the context of prayer. So bringing it back to prayer, it means that in prayer, there would be a supernatural edge. Okay? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 again, but you will receive power. There's an emphasis on receive here. It implies taking hold of, taking advantage of. It's something active. Okay? After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is futuristic. It's visible. And it's a result of the indwelling and what you have. So, let me try and finish this up here. Luke, Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Peter says unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The word of is not there in the original. So what he's saying there is, Ye shall receive the gift that is the Holy Ghost. Okay? Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, I'm assuming you know this, the day of Pentecost was fully come, and uh, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing of a mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Visual. Can you see that? There's a lot of visual. Luke is writing an eyewitness account, what was seen. He's writing what was experienced. He's not writing about what took place inside a person. Okay? And he's saying what they saw, and then they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Luke said, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in tongues. So, utterance 
utterance, what we hear, what we, what we hear, talking about what we're speaking, out. Okay? Now, what is happening here in Acts chapter 2? Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. For by one Spirit, how many Spirit? We are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So this is what we're talking about. There's one Spirit, there's one baptism, and we all, the, uh, Pentecost was everybody drinking together from one Spirit. Okay? Remember, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as water. So once we've received the indwelling of the Spirit, we are always satisfied. Spiritually, we're always satisfied. But now, we need to dip in and start to allow that flow on the outside so that we, people can see the Spirit. People can experience the Spirit. So therefore, what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not receiving God's Spirit. It's, you could say, an empowering. Definitely, it's an empowering. But you've got the power in you. It's yielding to the power within you to be able to be in service. It is being in service. <coughs> so, because at the full, at, um, Colossians 2 verse 10, someone know what it says? Colossians 2 verse 10. You are complete in Christ. Okay, so what is in Christ talking about? What is in Christ talking about? What is in salvation? So, when you're in Christ, you're saved. When are you, when you, when are you complete? When you're in Christ, you're complete. Because Colossians 2 verse 10 says, uh, you are complete in Christ. So, if you're in Christ, you're complete. So, when are you complete? When you're saved. Okay? Have you ever been made to feel like you're incomplete because you haven't received the Spirit, even though you're saved? A lot of teaching is like that when it comes to baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's definitely an empowering. But the empowering isn't you've got nothing. So let's put it like this. The Baptists. The Baptists who don't believe in an empowering. And they think the charismatics are crazy. Okay? They have the same Spirit that we have. They're just not allowing, a lot of them are not allowing an overflow. Which is what, because we've explained baptism in the Holy Spirit very poorly. We've explained it as, you don't have the Spirit of God, you need to be, be empowered by the Spirit. So ask God to give you His Spirit. Oh, but what if I were to die now without the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That doesn't make sense in terms of the Bible. In, term, in terms of people's teachings, it might make sense, but it doesn't make sense in terms of the Bible. The Spirit, upon, describes what is seen. Spirit, upon, is the language of Acts, the book of Acts. Spirit, upon, is talking about demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. Healing the sick is the result of Spirit, upon. Because the Spirit within is now being revealed. Okay? Manifestations of the Spirit. All the gifts of the Spirit. Words of wisdom, etc. All of that is a revealing of what's inside. Okay? Because it can be seen or it can be heard. So, 
if, you pre- if I preach to you the gospel and, and you believe, then you are saved. Okay, can, can we see any difference in a saved person? Not always. So then we see, throughout the book of Acts, we see the apostles laying hands on saved people to receive the Spirit, right? That's what they say then. Have you received the Spirit since you believed? They've received the Spirit, but now there needs to be an overflow. There needs to be a, a, a yielding. Reinhard Bonnke put it like this. He said, there's a difference between this, having the Spirit of God, salvation, and the, the Spirit of God having you, which is Spirit upon, which we call baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, Spirit upon is not all of a sudden you've got something more of God. It's you're operating in more of God. Because you've already got all of God. Okay? When we lay hands, it's only just assisting you to take hold of what you've already got. Because that receive, that word receive, you receive the empowering of the Spirit. That's talking about taking hold of that which you've got. Okay, so everything of the Holy Spirit is given to us at new birth, the moment you believed. We don't need to receive another spirit. Amen? And we didn't even talk about tongues. But let's stand up. And let's all just stand and I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And, you know, the... the If you have not received the Spirit of Christ, if you have not received salvation, then it's as simple as believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead to make you right with Him, and then you confess Him as Lord. So if you've never done that, do that now where you are. Right now, just believe in your heart the Gospel that He died to make you righteous, make you right with Him. In that instant, You've received the seal of the Holy Spirit within you. You've received, you've received the seal of the Holy Spirit within you. And now, it's so important, you know, that we look in the book of Acts and we can see this again and again and again, that believers, disciples who, who were at the day of Pentecost, continually were full with the Spirit of God. Meaning, there was evidence of an overflow. There was evidence of an empowering. And all of us, as believers, can experience that again and again and again. And we should. We're not receiving something that we don't have. We're overflowing in something that we do have. We're stirring up the gift of God within us. We'll be talking more about that next week. But right now, I just encourage you, close your eyes and just invite... The Holy Spirit just to minister to you. And I encourage you just to dig deep within you and just allow the Spirit to flow now. Yield to the Spirit of God that's within you. Just just be like, Father, in your heart, just say, Father, I'm yielding to you. I'm yielding to your power. I'm yielding to your Spirit. And just, just allow Him right now to begin to flow. How do you know if the, the Spirit is beginning to flow? We'll see something. We'll hear something. We'll talk about gifts of tongues and, and all of that next week. But it's so important that we, we, we yield to this. And we allow an overflow. 
You know, and as you're praying in tongues, what happens always, I say always, is God speaks to your mind and you start to see things. And you start to, 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 to understand things that you didn't understand before. And as you're starting to pray in the Spirit and things, then you're able to, to speak out things that God is putting on your heart. You speak them out in English. You speak them out in whatever language you speak. In Afrikaans or what have you. But I encourage you right now just to begin to pray in the Spirit. Pray in tongues. Because this is supernatural prayer. It's not just operating in the natural. It's operating in the supernatural power of God. Father, I thank you that as we just begin to pray in the Spirit and stir up the gift of God, the Spirit within us, I thank you that we will start to experience something, see something in the name of Jesus. That there would be utterance, there would be gifts of tongues and interpretation, prophecy, whatever, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just feel like God's just saying, you don't have to fear this at all. There's nothing to fear. He's not going to get you out of control. The Spirit is, is not going to over, overcome you. He's only going to uh, do what you allow Him to do through you. You've seen things, some of you, where the Spirit seems to be uncontrollable on people and whatever. And God, I, I believe, is just encouraging you. That's not His Spirit. He, he, he doesn't... Uh, within the Spirit, you don't lose control and all of a sudden go wild. The Spirit's purpose is for ministry. If it's not ministering to other people, then it's not Spirit. Spirit ministers. So right now, just allow the Spirit of God to minister to you. I believe He's going to put someone on your heart. He's going to give you a word for someone or a word for us all. And then we're just going to have a, 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 a few minutes just to be able to share those words and just encourage and build up one another. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, Father, we just thank you for your spirit which is at work in this room, in our hearts. And we just submit to you and allow an overflow right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just keep seeing a compass, a picture of a compass. And I just, I believe that there, by natural knowledge, I know that there's a couple of people who are, are, are seeking direction right now, but I know that there's by supernatural knowledge, there's probably a number of people that I don't know about who are seeking direction. If that's you, just put up your hands as a way of receiving from the Lord, and I believe He's going to minister to you right now. Father, for those who are seeking direction, who are seeking what direction, what decisions, and I just feel like God's just saying, don't grow weary in waiting. I just feel like the Lord's saying, don't grow weary in waiting. Specifically for you, Kari, I feel like God's just saying, don't grow weary in waiting and doing good where you are. For everybody who's seeking direction, don't seek to where should I go to be a blessing. Nobody should be seeking, where can I go to be a blessing? You should be seeking to be a blessing where you are, whilst you're waiting on God for the direction to go. Father, I thank you that for whoever's making these decisions and seeking direction, 
That as they commit their way to you, you make their paths straight, Father. Thank you that you will give them the wisdom that they need. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Trying to think of the sports name. It's not acrobatics. What do you call it? Gymnastics. Anyone ever done gymnastics here? Great. Hannah, I, 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 I feel like this is for you and maybe it'll apply to you as well, John Mark. But I just have this picture of whatever that thing is called. Like, it looks like a, a big thing and it's got four legs and you're busy doing whatever you do on it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> what? A horse. I wanted to say that, but it sounded funny. <laughs> so the horse. I see the picture of this horse and I feel like it's missing two legs. Can you do what you need to do on a horse missing two legs? Even if you go horse riding, you can't do it. You know, also two legs is miserable. And I just feel like God just saying that there's some, there's some things not, whichever one of you it's for, there's something not working and it's because there's two legs missing. And so Father, I thank you right now that you give them the interpretation of that. You give them the wisdom to know exactly right now why, what's not working and why it's not working. They know what's not working, but they would know why in the name of Jesus and how to correct it. In the name of Jesus. I believe as you pray in the Spirit, God's going to give you wisdom to fix them, to, to add those two legs, to support your, your amazing maneuvers that you're going to do on that horse. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. If anyone else has got a word, you're welcome to come up. Just uh, also had this picture of, uh, it's a little bit in, in line with um, what Shane shared now with regards to uh, vision or just the direction, um, but it's, it's more in line with what we even received tonight, um, the teaching. I saw this picture of someone with like, a, a, like an arrow in your eye, and um, that arrow in your eye is a representation of, of um, bad doctrine that you've had in your life. And, or bad or incorrect doctrine and that has caused you to kind of be uh, if you've got one eye closed and it's difficult to judge distance and all of those things it just hinders your direction and your vision for your life and it's by removing the arrow that you can fully start healing and move forward in the direction and the calling of God on your life um, and so with tonight's word and throughout your life receiving healthy teaching it's it, you're gonna need to respond to removing that arrow out you can stay stuck with that arrow and not want to believe something new or, or different because it's different or new. And so just the invitation to just remove the arrow from your eye because then you can move forward in the, the things that God has called you to. Mm, thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. I really just um, I have this picture for you, Tisa, of a, a delivery coming. I see you like at work and I see this uh, box coming and it's a special delivery. And uh, if you open up the box, it's kind of like a, a flower, flowers in a vase in, in the, the, the box. And so you pull out and it's like these beautiful, fresh, your favorite flowers, whatever they are. And I feel like God's just saying, it's your, I'm trying to think of the right word now, it's your, 
housewarming gift. It's your housewarming gift. And I feel like God's just saying, you're in a new season. And it's a season not only of newness, but it's a season of restoration. And I feel like there's a lot in this last season that you've had to battle through. Some of the stuff I'm aware of, but I feel like God's just highlighting it to me now. That He's saying, um, you know, you've pushed through a lot and you've battled through a lot. But uh, it's kind of like that song, The Storm Is Over Now. (laughs) You can see the sunshine. And I feel like God's just wanting to encourage you that he's, uh, he's with you and this new season is going to be a good one. And so Father, I just thank you for Tisa and everything that this means, newness. Thank you for refreshing in this new season. I thank you, Father, for restoration in this new season. I thank you, Father, that the storm is over now and she, she can see the sunshine. She's going to experience so much restoration and goodness in this new season. Thank you, Father, that you've got surprises waiting for her and blessing waiting for her as she lets go of the old and steps into the new. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Do you have something, Jamie? Um, I've just got one of those sort of standard visions that a lot of people have got, but this specifically one is for someone here. Um, the story about um, walking on the beach. Um, there's someone here who thinks that they've gone through life alone, and you're just like, where are you, God? Like, I'm trying so hard to get a hold of you, and you're not, like, not paying attention to me or whatever. Um, as Shane said... God doesn't leave ever. He's always in you. Um, and if you look down and you see the footprints and you see only one pair of feet on the floor, it's God carrying you. And so, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, Father, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And even this week as we go, Father, I thank you that you're going with us. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. For the gentleman at the back, I'm not so sure what your name is, but I just have this picture of you walking and you've got like a sword and it's hanging down. You're walking with the sword and it's hanging down. And I mean, I I don't know uh, uh, what's going on in your life right now, but I feel like uh, it is for you. I just feel like uh, God's just saying to you, like he's put a sword in your hand and you need to hold it up. And the sword is... Uh, according to um, Ephesians chapter 6, it's the, the Word of God. Sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so I feel like God's just saying, you know, the more you get into the Word, and the more you discover who He is, and the more you know your calling in Him, the more confidence you're going to have to hold that sword up high. And I feel like as that happens, like there's a confidence that God's wanting to restore to you, and there's a boldness, and all of a sudden things make sense, and there's meaning. Because maybe up until now, certain things haven't made sense. And I feel like God's saying, you know, you, 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 you've been seeking meaning, seeking purpose. But the purpose is in you getting into that, that word to be able to hold up the sword. And that sword is going to deal with issues even in your family. Because the sword kind of pierces, and the sword of the Spirit pierces through darkness. It'll be able to, to kind of make a way. And I feel like even in your life, there's certain places that God's wanted you to go, you've wanted to go, but you haven't been able to be there. And it's like God just saying, hey, this will be able to help, like, you know, almost like um, 
what's it called? Um, Indiana Jones with the panga. You know, being able to like machete, make a way in the wilderness. And I feel like God's saying, there's going to be, you're going to be taking ground as soon as you start to lift up that sword. And that's lifting up the word to be able to understand him, dig in deeper, get established so that, that, that you'll be able to go ahead and make a way even for loved ones. And so Father, I just speak blessing over this brother. And right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, that you show him how he can lift up that sword, how he can step more into your purpose and how he can uh, start to see as he's walking with you, make a way in the wilderness, make a way through uh, uh, difficult places to be able to get to where you called him. So I thank you that you're bringing a sense of purpose in his life, a, a sense of satisfaction. I feel like along the way there's been kind of very a lot of disappointments and I feel like God's just saying, hey, you know, like uh, uh, stop looking at the disappointments because they're going to hold you back. Look forward. Stop focusing on what, what people have done or not done and start looking forward because He's taking you somewhere. And you can't take you somewhere as long as you're holding on to the past. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just feel like God is saying, I love you. I love you. Father, I thank you that you just overwhelm him with your love this week. Show him your favor in unexpected ways, Father. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. I also just have a picture. This is for a number of people. A picture of uh, 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 this recurring problem. This problem that just keeps coming back. So if this is you... Like this word is for you. If you keep looking, at, you, you know exactly there's a problem and you're thinking about it now and you're like, yes, this problem keeps coming back. And I just feel like the Lord's saying, it's like, you know, you, 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 every time this problem comes up, you kind of take the weed eater and you're cutting it away. And then a couple of weeks later, it grows back. A couple of days later, it grows back. And you know why? Because you know the picture. <laughs> it's because you didn't take the root out. And I feel like the Lord's saying the problem that you have that keeps coming back is because you're not uprooting it. You're just dealing with what you see. You're not dealing with what you can't see. And so, Father, I thank you for whoever that is right now that they would see what's unseen and they would have the wisdom that's necessary to deal with that in the name of Jesus. I just feel like God's saying no one can pray for you to deal with that problem. So don't come and ask me for prayer for that. I feel like God's saying to you, the problem isn't spiritual, but you'll have a spiritual key to be able to deal with the root. God's going to show it to you, and you need to obey, and you need to do it, and you'll see fruitfulness. You're going to see a change. It might even just be a natural thing that needs to change. Whatever it is, it's, 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 it's between you and the Lord. And so, Father, I thank you that there's just revelation coming, understanding, in Jesus' name. And that we'll even have just some great testimonies this week of how recurring problems stopped because we sought you about what's the root and how do we deal with it. We stopped dealing with fruit and we started dealing with root. In Jesus' name. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Cape Town area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co.
www.gracelife.ca